Welcome to Full Scope, a weekly medical podcast designed to teach, inspire, and encourage listeners to question everything they know. I'm your host, Bill Brandenburg. Pneumoconiosis, part two. Welcome back, everybody. I hope you enjoyed part one, where we talked about some of the basics of the most often occupational lung diseases, the pneumoconiosis. Again, these are caused by the inhalation of inorganic dust. It often takes many, many years for them to develop, and they generally cause a fibrotic interstitial lung disease. Now, on part two, I want to dive in to the most common causes of pneumoconiosis, namely silicosis, asbestosis, and co-workers pneumoconiosis. Pneumo- sorry, it's a hard word to say, people. Alright, before we get into the big three causes of pneumoconiosis, let's talk about some of the other materials that can potentially cause this disease. Now, most of these are all in some way based on silicone, but two are essentially not, and they are aluminum oxide, which can sometimes form fibers, which can cause pneumoconiosis under certain conditions. And then the other one is nylon flock. People who manufacture nylon, which is generally a synthetic polymer based on uh, carbon molecules, can have little pieces of this nylon break off, and we call those pieces flock. And if those are the right size, namely 1 to 5 micrometers, those can be inhaled and called a, cause a pneumoconiosis. The other pneumoconiosis causes are generally minerals based on silicone. And the first one we can talk about is graphite. Now graphite is the most stable form of carbon under standard conditions. And obviously we've heard about this from things like pencil tips and and many other applications. But it can be powdered and aerosolized, which can cause lung disease. Now, I wouldn't worry about this so much just writing with a pencil, of course, but if you're mining it and, say, using a jackhammer to break off huge pieces of it and dust is going in the air, that's probably when you need to worry. Remember that if you put graphite under tremendous heat and pressure over a long time, it turns into a diamond. And so many of these minerals are the starting points for uh, precious gemstones, which is just fascinating and a whole other discussion entirely. The next thing to talk about is kaolin, which is uh, comes from kaolinite. And this is a, uh, a clay mineral that is often used in the production of paper, but it can be aerosolized and inhaled and cause pneumoconiosis as well. The next thing to think about is diatomaceous earth. This is a um, basically fossils. It's uh, fossilized diatoms, which a, a diatom is a small uh, protus. It's actually an algae, a single-celled algae, which uh, live in water, usually the ocean, and they have tremendous biomass. They make up a large percent of the biomass of uh, Earth's living species and produce possibly as much as 50% of the Earth's oxygen. So a really cool organism even today, but their fossilized remains can be used for a number of applications. Like I said last episode, I use them in my greenhouse as a, as a way to uh, combat insects without using various chemicals. The next thing to think about is talc, 
we've all heard of talcum powder. Um, talc is another uh, mineral based on silica and it can cause respirable disease. On top of that, it also has been linked to cancers of the female genital tract. Johnson & Johnson has paid out billions of dollars now to various women who have developed ovarian cancer following 30, 40 years of talc use, which is interesting. So probably don't, uh, probably don't use talcum powder on your genitals, which is kind of how it's advertised to be used, so kind of, kind of unusual. We'll see how that all plays out. Uh, another mineral is mica, which is a sheet silicate. It breaks off into these perfect sheets and is generally used in electronics and the electrical industries. But those are some other causes of the pneumoconioses. And now I really want to talk about the big three causes. And the first cause is silicone. And what I'm really talking about is crystallized silicone. So remember, materials can come in different forms. They may be made of the same atoms, but depending on how those atoms are arranged, they can have very, very different properties. And a crystal is basically a atoms that are arranged in a very organized way, a lattice, if you will, and that lattice extends out into three dimensions. And so we're really worried about the crystallized form of silica when we're talking about risk for pneumoconiosis. Now I wanted to review the constituents of the earth crust because I think it's very, very interesting and telling because silica is just, it's just everywhere. Now, essentially, the Earth's crust makes up less than 1% of the Earth's volume, so it's a thin layer on top, but the most common atom that we find is oxygen, 46.6%. And this is because oxygen combines with so many other atoms to form minerals. The next most common is silicone, which makes up 27.7%. After that, you get several others, aluminum, iron, calcium, sodium, potassium, magnesium. The most common mineral is actually silicon dioxide. It makes up 60% of the Earth's crust. And silicon dioxide is really the, um, the mineral that causes silicosis. So just absolutely everywhere. And it's not so much of an issue if you're just, say, walking on sand or taking a hike or even in a cave. It becomes a bigger issue when you're cutting it, crushing it, grinding it, mining it. If you're like, say, cutting a granite countertop with a saw and there's dust going everywhere, that's going to be when you're at big risk. If you're mining it out of the earth and using huge machines to crush it, that's going to put you at risk. If you are a fracker, if you're somebody who's using water and silicone at high pressure and injecting into, into the earth to break up shale and release uh, oil and natural gas, you're going to be at risk for this. There are so many people at risk for silicosis, and for that reason, it is the most common pneumoconiosis. So because of silicone's ubiquitous nature in the Earth's crust, so many different workers are at risk. You need to think about this in coal miners, hard rock miners, hydraulic fracturing workers, foundries, people who do tunneling, the boring company, stone cutting, countertop workers, sand blasting, anyone who's in construction or masonry, people who manufacture glass, concrete or ceramics, and then even people in agriculture and landscaping may be at risk for this. It can cause diseases in the acute setting, 
and the chronic setting. Acute silicosis is also known as silicoprotonosis, and it happens when people get a big high concentration of exposure to respirable, uh, respirable silica. And this generally takes weeks, but can sometimes even take years. And classically what you'll see is a lipoprotonaceous um, lava or, um, fluid on bronchoalveolar lavage. The next type of silicosis that can occur is an accelerated silicosis. And this typically develops within 10 years of exposure and can lead to a lot of bad symptoms. To review last, uh, last episode, the people who are getting these pneumoconioses are going to present with a dry cough and progressive shortness of breath. So remember that. Dry cough, progressive shortness of breath, the right history, the right imaging findings, make the diagnosis, and that goes for all of these. Just wanted to review that. And then the next disease, which is probably the most common, is a chronic silicosis. And this typically takes years to develop, which is in line with, with the rest of the pneumoconioses. It causes, or it leads to hyalinized collagenous nodules in the lungs, which are generally in a centrilobular distribution. So the lung is made up of several different lobules, which are separated by interlobular septa, visible on CT. And so the disease is usually occurring in the center of those uh, lobules. You can have a simple form, which is defined by infiltrates less than one centimeter. And you can have a complicated form, which is defined by infiltrates larger than one centimeter. And this complicated form can get worse and essentially progress to a uh, massive progressive pulmonary fibrosis, which obviously is going to lead to things like hypoxia and really bad symptoms, and then of course death. Pulmonary function tests can show a number of different things, including restriction, obstruction, a mixed picture, and then later in the disease, a reduced diffusion capacity. Silicosis definitely increases the risk of lung cancer, probably not as much as asbestos, but it certainly does. It also causes um, a, a disease which we call Kaplan syndrome. And actually, all three of these most common pneumoconioses can cause Kaplan syndrome, which is basically an increased risk for rheumatoid arthritis along with silicosis. It's really fascinating these diseases seem to be very immunogenic. They tend to bring out uh, immunologic problems. And in particular, silicosis also tends to run with another problem, which is scleroderma. So another immune-mediated disease possibly, uh, or that kind of runs with silicosis. So you've got increased rates of rheumatoid arthritis and scleroderma in people that have silica exposure. Another thing to also think about with silicosis is an increased risk for infection with uh, both tuberculosis and other mycobacteria. So the natural history of this disease back in the day was that earth miners would have no protection. Over many years, they would get a progressive shortness of breath, scarring of their lungs, fibrotic lung disease, and then they would get tuberculosis and they would die. And that's generally what happened. And believe it or not, that is still occurring all the time in developing nations. So needs to be on the radar still and very, very important. Another thing that you often see on chest x-ray is 
infiltrates usually in the upper lobes. Like we said, they tend to be um, fairly in the center of the lobular, centrilobular, and it tends to predominantly affect the upper lobes of the lungs. That being said, it can, it can cause problems anywhere. One of the things that doesn't always happen, but if it does, is really uh, ups your suspicion for silicosis, is something called eggshell calcification. What happens is the hilar lymph nodes can become calcified. And so you can see these lesions on chest x-ray, which look like little eggshells. And if you see that, that can really, that should really, really up your your suspicion for silicosis. It can happen in other diseases, but it, it, it's got a very high likelihood if someone has the right exposure that they've got a silicosis type problem. Inhaling crystallized silica is also associated with a number of different respiratory problems on top of pneumoconiosis. This includes chronic bronchitis, chronic interstitial pneumonitis, alveolar proteinosis, increased risk for lung cancer, and then increased risk of tuberculosis and other mycobacterium infections. So it can cause a lot of problems, a lot of things to think about. This is why pulmonary function tests can, can often show different things or mixed restrictive obstructive pictures. And be thinking about this because silica is just everywhere and it might not be the person that is working in a mine somewhere. It might be the guy who's retiling his bathroom and wasn't using any protection and just cutting his tiles and, and breathing in a bunch of this stuff. So uh, that is silicosis. Alright, let's move on and talk a little bit about coal. Now this is some dirty, dirty stuff. Coal workers pneumoconiosis is actually part of a larger spectrum of diseases all related to coal mining known as the coal mine dust lung diseases. And this consists of co-workers pneumoconiosis, silicosis, remember if you're down there going after coal, you're definitely gonna find some silica because it's everywhere. Mixed dust pneumoconiosis, which is what we call when people have uh, various uh, pneumoconiosis from different sources such as silica and coal. Dust-related diffuse fibrosis, emphysema, and chronic bronchitis. There's a lot of bad stuff around coal mines. You've got, as we said, coal, silica, silicates, limestone used for rock dusting, diesel exhaust, and other potentially harmful particles in volatile chemicals. Even as a little kid, I remember the whole story about the canary in the coal mine. You know, they keep a bird in the corner to see if toxic gas is coming out of the earth and then if the canary's dead they all need to get out of there real quick because you know they'll be uh, you know collapsing shortly after so very harmful place to work a very vulnerable population of workers and somebody that we want to keep a really really close eye on coal is a brown black sedimentary rock that is mostly made up of carbon it's got a property that has been utilized to the max by humans and that is that it's combustible. We burn it, convert it into electricity and use it to power our systems. Now coal obviously is a double-edged sword because it creates a ton of pollution. It creates bad smog in our ear air. It releases harmful byproducts like mercury which over the years has been showered into our oceans and polluted our water. 
So it's really harmful not just to miners but also to people in cities and, and anyone who consumes fish and really all of us at this point because we've used it at such a high level. So coal is both a uh, concern for workers in the occupational setting as well as people interested in environmental medicine and there's a lot more to say about that but let's stick with the, the coal workers pneumoconiosis at this time generally this is a disease that takes more than 10 years of exposure in general coal is a fairly inert mineral it takes a lot of exposure for people to develop disease we have divided it into a simple type and a complicated type which can then progress to massive or progressive massive fibrosis. We define the simple type as nodules on chest x-ray that are less than 10 centimeters. Remember we talked about the International Labor Organization's schema for reading chest x-rays for the diagnosis of pneumoconiosis. Remember we have P small round opacities which are less than 1.5 milliliters millimeters, Q small opacities which are 1.5 to 3 millimeters, and R small opacities which are 3 to 10 millimeters. In coal workers pneumoconiosis, the simple type, we're most commonly going to see Q and R nodules mostly in the upper lobes. So things are nodules that are between 1.5 and 10 millimeters. The complicated type of co-workers pneumoconiosis is defined by nodules greater than one centimeter. And this can sometimes progress to a progressive massive fibrosis, which can be very detrimental. People are generally needing oxygen and very fatal disease. So really important to catch it before that stuff occurs. There is a rapidly progressive form which has been described, namely in Appalachian miners, which tends to progress quicker than the normal disease. For obvious reasons, it's very important to remove those workers from, workers from the hazard sooner than later. Coworkers pneumoconiosis runs with rheumatoid arthritis, just like silicosis. We call that Kaplan syndrome. And what what we've all heard of about this is is what's called anthracosis. And so people get this black lung. When we take out their lungs and look at them after they've died on an autopsy, we see this dark black soot all over the lungs. While these people are alive, they're even coughing up this this black sputum, and we call that uh, anthracosis. And you can see that in coal workers, but you can also see that in smokers. It's really the same thing. It's that carbon deposition in your lungs, which then gets stuck there and can't get out. Sadly, we also see this in people who live in cities with high amounts of pollution. And this is going to become a huge issue in cities with really low air quality. Air is so important. And those people can be at risk for the same types of diseases or the same types of lung issues as coworkers can. And that's, that's a bad deal. People just trying to live should not be getting lung diseases just from the air they breathe in our dirty cities. So we really need to clean up our act. We need to be seeking energy sources that are renewable, that don't hurt us, and don't hurt the environment. The final two things to say about co-workers pneumoconiosis is it does increase your risk for lung cancer. And on top of that, when it gets severe enough, 
it can cause a right heart failure, which we call pul core pulmonale. And that's, that's the right heart failing kind of as a result of the lungs failing. All right, the final pneumoconiosis that we're going to discuss today is asbestosis. And this is caused by the hydrated magnesium silicate mineral, fibrous mineral, asbestos. This is a mineral that has six tubs, subtypes. There is a serpentine form, which has kind of a snake-like winding uh, fiber pattern. And there's an amphibole form, which is essentially a straight fiber. 93% are these serpentine forms, in particular, chrysotile. And those are still very harmful, but thought to be less harmful than the other five varieties, which are of the amphibole or straight form. Now, while asbestos can be very harmful to people's health when they breathe in the small particles, it turns out it's, it's one heck of a, a product, you know, kind of like coal, although it's really dirty, it's great for producing energy. Um, asbestos is awesome for a number of different utilities and, and this is, or a number of different uh, purposes, and this is why. It's got very high tensile strength, so you have to pull it really hard for it to break. It's very flexible. It's resistant to degradation, so if you put it in a wall, say for insulation or on a roof or as a flooring, it's not going to break down very easily. It's got a high electrical resistance, so your you know your electricity is not going to travel through it and shock you. It's easily woven, and potentially most importantly, it, it's a it's fire retardant. It doesn't catch on fire, so when you build structures at it, it's got a low fire risk, and that's really really important. Now the problem is, is that when you're exposed to it in a, in a small respirable form, it can cause a number of different bad diseases, namely uh, a pneumoconiosis, uh, which we call asbestosis, but also lung cancers, uh, namely bronchogenic carcinoma, and then a, a very rare cancer of the pleura of the lung pleura, but also it can happen in the abdominal pleura, called mesothelioma. This is a malignancy that has a very high fatality and is almost unheard of in people who have not been exposed to asbestos. Typically it takes a very, very long time after exposure to develop, 30 but more often 40 years to occur. Bad stuff, prevention is key. So who is at risk? for asbestosis. Well, in fact, a number of different people, obviously anyone who's mining asbestos from under the earth is going to be at risk. Interestingly, remember we talked about talc earlier and talcum powder being really commonly used for people to put on their bodies. One of the problems with talc is that the, the mineral uh, deposits of talc tend to occur next to asbestos deposits. And so there's definitely been cases of asbestos being found in talcum powder, which is obviously not a good thing. Uh, a number of different other occupational professions are potentially at risk. Anything in construction or building. So plumbers uh, uh, or pipe fitters, these asbestos fibers are often used to uh, insulate pipes, especially back in the day. Electricians, carpenters, boiler makers, which make big tanks to be used in things like the production of steel, iron, and copper. 
shipbuilding, railroading, some manufacturers such as those who produce brake pads for automobiles, and the list goes on. A particularly vulnerable group of people are anyone that is involved in asbestos abatement or removal. Now that we know asbestos is harmful and since we used it in, in buildings so much, uh, especially um, several years ago, we now have to call in special workers to remove it when people are doing remodeling or teardown projects to protect other parts of the demolition or remodeling team. And then another group that's at risk are are anyone doing renovations, especially like DIY homeworkers. If you've got an older house and you're pulling out insulation or, or removing old floors or old roofs or really just a lot of old house uh, building materials, you could be at risk. So you need to protect yourself with a number of different things including personal protective equipment and oftentimes a P100 respirator. Uh, the P is resistant to oil and the 100 means that it's going to block 99.97% of particles at 3 microns. So really important to be protected. On top of the respirator, you got to remember that this stuff can stick to your body and clothes and so you want to uh, take good care and make sure you properly dispose of or treat your clothing and then get that stuff off your skin and don't bring it home with you. Like the other pneumoconioses, asbestosis causes a slowly progressive fibrotic lung disease. And typically this is going to have a very long latency period. Usually people are going to need at least 10 years of exposure before they show anything on a chest x-ray or any symptoms, shortness of breath or dry cough, but often more like 20 or 30 years. It can cause pleural abnormalities as well things like effusions. In fact, one of the earliest things you can see on chest x-ray is a pleural effusion when you're, when you're doing asbestos surveillance. But you can also see plaques and thickening and calcification. You can also see these lesions on the diaphragm. And in fact, when you do see these pleural lesions and diaphragmatic lesions, that's, very, uh, that's a, a very good sign or high likelihood sign that you might be dealing with asbestosis. And then finally, you get these chest malignancies. About 10 times increase in incidence of lung cancer, and then 1,000 time increase incidence of mesothelioma over the general population. So causes a badness in the lungs and then eventually can lead to lung cancer. And that has killed a lot, a lot of people over the years. Remember we talked about the uh, cili mucociliary elevator, those beating hairs in your lungs that are constantly moving uh, sputum and crud from the, from the very distal part of your lungs, the alveoli, all the way out to your mouth where you can then spit it out or swallow it. When you use tobacco, you basically paralyze those hairs, and so you can't move crud out of your lungs. That makes it so you can't get the asbestos fibers out. And for that reason, people who both smoke and are exposed to asbestos can have a, a much greater incidence of lung cancer compared to someone who just smokes or just is exposed to asbestos. So very important, you do not want your asbestos exposed, potentially asbestos exposed workers smoking. On chest x-ray, you're, you're often gonna see subtle lower lobe infiltrates. Remember, coal and silicosis tended to be upper lobes. 
Espessos tends to be lower lobes, but these are just general things. The, 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 you, can see, you can see lesions anywhere in the lungs. The pleura and the, the diaphragm are um, often affected in asbestosis, which can, can really point you toward that disease. And really, if you see any problems on chest x-ray with any of these, like we said last time, you're going to want to shoot a CT because that's going to show you more information and tell you just how bad the lungs are affected. But most importantly, even more importantly than getting a CT, you need to get that worker away from exposure because uh, like we said for all the pneumoconioses, pneumoconioses last episode, treatments are horrible. Let's review them real quick. So what can we actually do for somebody who we diagnose with a pneumoconiosis? Well, not very much. We can try bronchodilators. If those help, great. Give them some. If they need ex oxygen because they're that far along in their disease, they should be given oxygen. Usually people who are setting less than 88% will, will benefit from oxygen. If they are out of shape, they're definitely going to benefit from overall conditioning. Just getting in the best shape possible is going to allow you to compensate for asbestosis or any pneumoconiosis. There are also some antifibrotics like perfenidone used for idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. These antifibrotics are definitely being looked at heavily for the treatment and slowing a progression for asbestosis, but probably aren't ready for prime time just yet. And then finally, lung transplant. That's kind of the end stage of the disease, but brings about other problems. For that reason, it's really important to get on top of this stuff early. If you see lesions on chest x-ray, get the worker away from the exposure. We've come a long way with pneumoconiosis, like I said, in a lot of countries. However, in a lot of the developing countries, it's getting worse. And since 1990, I, I believe both silicosis and co-workers pneumoconiosis uh, may be back on the rise in the United States. So, so we don't want to forget about it here either. Finally, I want to review diagnosis because it's so important and it's how we know if people have this disease in, in, in the really the first line to uh, get people out of dangerous situations. And that is a person has to have the right history. They have to have had an exposure to the offending substance. It has to be for the right amount of time. So people aren't generally going to come in after a year of asbestos work with asbestosis. As we know, it takes more time than that. So if it's been a sh too short of a time, you should really be thinking about other things, other causes. And then you want to find those characteristic findings on chest x-ray. And chest x-ray or CT are really the way to make the definitive diagnoses. The International Labor Organization has very standardized ways to read chest x-rays in order to keep us all really honest and on the same page about this. You really don't ever need a biopsy to confirm the diagnosis. A lung biopsy is um, you know, a fairly invasive procedure, but if you if you're, you're unsure, sometimes this can help because you can actually see signs of the disease microscopically on histology. And in asbestos particular, if you ever end up getting a lung biopsy for this and you want to take a look uh, to see if asbestos might be the cause, you want to get an iron stain on it because asbestos uh, basically our macrophages try to swallow it and in doing so they spit iron out onto the asbestos fibers and that can cause it to light up on iron stain. We call those uh, ferruginous bodies 
and just something to think about. Again, you really shouldn't be getting biopsies. This should be a clinical diagnosis based on history and then chest x-ray. But if you ever do, uh, get the iron stain. All right, that was a lot of, uh, a lot of information about the pneumoconiosis. There's a lot more to say about this subject. I feel like I was talking fast and nonstop because there was so much I wanted to cover. It's really hard to talk about some of the, the chest x-ray and CT findings on a podcast, but there's a lot of great resources online, and I have some sources uh, down in, under the references that you can take a look at if you want to learn more about this. There's definitely a big need for more people to get better at reading chest x-rays. You can get that certification, the B-Reader certification, to show your competency and, I, and become a valuable person in um, the field of occupational medicine. I'm going to try and, and get that B-Reader certification myself. Okay, good luck everybody, have a good week, and see you again soon. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Full Scope Podcast. You can find a lecture summary, key points, and any references on our website, fullscope.org. Additionally, this is the official podcast of Wonder Medicine PLLC, a for-profit medical clinic located in Boise, Idaho. As Carly and I own the clinic and draw revenue from it, we thought we should uh, d disclose it as a conflict of interest. Disclaimer alert! It's a trap! The Full Scope podcast was designed and created for educational purposes only. It is not intended to diagnose, treat, or provide clinical knowledge specific to the care of any actual patient or population of patients. If you are in need of medical advice or treatment, contact a physician. The views and opinions portrayed on Full Scope are Dr. Brandenburg's. They do not represent the views or opinions of Wander Medicine Clinic, any of the academic institutions mentioned on the Full Scope podcast or website, or any of the hospitals which Dr. Brandenburg has or currently works at.